Hello, welcome to the Quarter to Three Games Podcast for early November. Uh, my name is Tom Chick, and my game of the week is not Dungeon Rats. <laughs> uh, my name is Tony Carnavali, and my game of the week is not Civilization VI. Oh, you, I should have chosen that one. Uh, have you played Dungeon Rats yet, by the way? You're the- I have eagerly purchased it on GOG.com, uh, and it, it, I will play it soon, hopefully. Have you? I have not, but uh, tell the folks briefly what it is, and then I want to tell them what it isn't. Okay. Uh, Dungeon Rats is a game by the pseudonymous guy who made Age of uh, Decadence, which is a very uh, somewhat eccentric, weird RPG made by, um, you know, the, this guy who seems like he understands what makes RPGs good, and I, I like Age of Decadence, uh, but it's very it's it seems like it was made by aliens in some ways. Why do you say that? Uh, <laughs> um, uh, there's a lot of I mean, there's a lot of things about it that are uh, that kind of it proclaim the fact that he's not a super experienced developer, even though he was developing that game for years and years. He doesn't have a lot of things under his belt. And there's a lot of clunkiness to it. Um, some of the uh, way he he really values writing, um, and I really like that because I think that's great. I'm not in love with the way he writes a lot of the time, although he's certainly far better than average, right. uh, w- way better than average, I would say. Um, and there's a lot of times when you're not really given a lot of information in uh, the kind of information that you really would need to make an informed decision. And the thing that I'm thinking about to dwell on this for a moment is there's a part very early in the game because I've only gotten very early in the game because I keep dying and starting over. Um, <laughs> I know I've started. To, I've gotten over that. And now I'm OK with reloading. Okay. But um, there is a part early in the game where you meet a one of the first characters you meet is a. Uh, lore, what's called a lore master, whose name is Master Feng, and uh, one of the first quests he gives you, under in some of the character classes, I think most of the character classes meet him early and get this quest. Uh, one of his first quests he gives you is there's a new lore master in town. Uh, his name is Cassius. Please, uh, if you can get rid of him, make him leave or kill him. I don't care how you get rid of him. Uh, just please do that because he's threatening my job. And I'm I don't want him around. So you find Cassius and you talk to Cassius and you you have uh, two options. And your first option is um, take Cassius to an abandoned house. And your second option is take Cassius to see King Antetus, who's like the king of the ta- or the lord of the town. And it doesn't tell you. Uh, what you're going to be doing it to him in either of those scenarios. It just assumes that you know that if you take Cassius to the abandoned house, you're going to threaten him and possibly try to kill him. And it assumes that you know that if you opt to take Cassius to the king of the area, you are going to undermine Feng and uh, turn on him and actually tell the king uh, about Feng's attempt to kick Cassius out and you're going to be a turncoat and take Cassius's side. Nowhere does the game tell you that this is what you're choosing to do. All the choice it gives you is take him to one of these two geographical locations and then <laughs> and then it surprises you and says, "Oh, you chose to take him here? Okay, well clearly that means you you're making this 
this ethical choice. Right. And that's totally. I'm I'm surprised that you didn't. Uh, there's. I feel like the game does that in a lot of places. I haven't. I again. I haven't gotten very far, but I I'd be surprised if it doesn't do that kind of thing repeatedly throughout the game. And I'm surprised that didn't bother you. More. Uh, I don't. I don't remember ever running into. I mean, I. I what you're explaining right now, uh, you definitely have to infer from taking him. You have to infer what those mean. And those, even hearing you describe them, I'm like, yeah, okay, that's kind of clear. It's not well. It, it's not clear, but I can infer from each choice. One of them is sinister. One of them is official. Uh, now it's not clearly labeled sinister choice, official choice. You're right. You're absolutely right. There is some murkiness there. But what I'm surprised at, Tony, is that you don't uh, embrace that murkiness as, as being part of the storytelling. Um, like, like, like mechanically, I agree it's clumsy. But I didn't play Age of Decadence for the mechanics. As a matter of fact, weirdly enough. When I played Age of Decadence, I didn't. I didn't get into. I got into one battle that I lost. I didn't have a combat build, and I had to reload until I could avoid the battle. I went through the storyline without fighting a single time, simply because I was enjoying the narrative and the sort of storytelling stuff. Uh, so while while hearing you describe it, I can understand mechanically how that would be annoying. Just plowing through as a bit of storytelling, I don't think I ever minded it. It's been a while since I played, though. Well, but one of the main selling points of Age of Decadence is this whole this phrase that has uh, come into common parlance recently, and I'm not entirely sure why, but it's a phrase that describes something that good RPGs have traded in for decades: choice and consequence. Right? And to make a choice, you have to be provided a choice. You don't. I don't need to know if you do this, this will happen. I don't need to know that, for instance, choosing to uh, threaten him is going to result in a physical attack. Um, I just need to know that by taking him to this location, I'm angling for this. I, you know, I'm trying to do right, this. Right. Because it, it didn't really seem like I was being provided with the information I needed to make a choice. Um, and, and you know, in retrospect, I guess you could say that it does. It, 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 those things make sense. But I, but I, uh, I actually, the the time most recently that I chose to take him to the king, I thought. Uh, I'm going to take him to the king because my character has a high score in various speech-related skills. And so I'm going to try to work things out with the king and just maybe discuss, you know, having both the lore masters be able to cooperatively work for the king. You know, that, well, that could – I don't understand why – you know, I don't – it, it sounds funny because it wasn't an option, but like – that could be something that one might try to no, do. I, and, and I love it, the idea yeah, that, yeah, that you're, you're, you're thinking about this in way more complex – terms than it was written like and that's fair enough because that's in a good rpg that's what you should be able to do that's the advantage by the way of tabletop rpgs where somebody is responding mm -hmm. to you on the fly uh and i guess maybe it's my years of of accepting the limitations of certain game design that i kind of realize you know i'm not going to be able to finesse it with the king using my speech skill uh like i kind of accept those limitations and i think you're a little more hopeful that games can work around them and give you more complex options. Well, it's not even necessarily that I was hopeful of that. It's just I didn't know really what right, to expect. Right. It happens really early on. It's like one of the first in, – in many character builds, this is the first real choice that right. you have. So I really had no idea what to expect, and this game had been hyped up as particularly nuanced. And, you know, um, for all I knew, it, it, it wasn't going to go down the standard Bioware, uh, you know, two paths uh, of, of – violent and non-violent or, or good and evil um but anyway well, uh, so then what is dungeon rats then is it a sequel to age of decadence <laughs> so dungeon rats is set in the universe of age of decadence um 
and it is a fairly short, from what I understand, combat-oriented RPG. It may not even really qualify as an RPG. Uh, I think it probably does, based on today's somewhat watered-down definitions. Uh, but it's 50, from, from what the developer has said, it's approximately 50 scripted fights uh, that always happen in the exact same order. And um, you just get, go through these 50 fights. There's not really too many, uh, you know, moral choices. There's not really much character development. Um, it's just 50 tactical combats. Um, and hopefully uh, you're, you, you are good at them. I was never, I'm not good at Age of Decadence's combat. Um, I, w- I don't even and, know if I'm good at it because I've never done it. Yeah. So uh, it'll be an interesting so challenge. So I thought it, – it, so it, what you're describing is basically a tactical RPG, like Ogre Tactics. Like those there's, – there's plenty of Japanese games like that. Uh, when yeah. you – I don't know why, where I got this idea, but when you told me about it, I just briefly looked at the page and thought, oh, that sounds really cool. I'm going to wait until it comes out and then play it and find out more. Uh, I, I kind of thought – I. I thought it was going to be like a roguelike. Like, I thought you rolled up a party, uh-huh. and it randomly generated a dungeon for you in the Age of Decadence universe. And mm-hmm. upon reflection, I have no idea where I got that idea. I com- uh, it, it might be because that kind of game is very in vogue yeah. right now. Uh, and also the name Dungeon Rats is very somewhat generic sounding in a way that I kind of like. I'm a sucker for any game that has the word dungeon in the title. I will look at it. Because uh, I immediately think of Dungeons and Dragons and all the fun I've had with those types of games, and uh, you know, I, so I was interested in t- checking and it you out. Don't, so you are basically kind of uh, Gawker Media's, like Kotaku's, roguelike correspondent, I would say, <laughs> because you you, uh, no, you, I, you attended and wrote up on Kotaku a roguelike convention. Yes, I did attend a thing called Roguelike Celebration, which happened, I think, a little under two months ago um, in San Francisco, mm-hmm. so to, which was a big convention of roguelike fans and developers. And to my mind, that makes you to roguelikes what uh, Kellyanne Connor is to Donald Trump. Uh, Kellyanne Conway. Conway. Shoot a monkey. <laughs> yes. Yeah, her. Right. Yes, I am the roguelike <laughs> apologist. <laughs> All right, so then, uh, obviously, Dungeon Rats, not a roguelike. Uh, you've been playing a game called Brogue with your friend Brian Haskell. You guys are working through the same dungeon that is currently ongoing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you're trying to set yourself up as the underdog, but I kind of feel like uh, maybe it's just because I know you. I'm kind of rooting for Brian. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> Wait, what you literally just said was, because you know me, you're rooting for right. Brian. That's what well, you yeah, Oh, because I, I constantly – I am frequent, you are frequently my opponent in gaming. Yeah. Oh, okay. You and I have board yes, gamed a true. lot that's and stuff, true. and so I'm used to wanting you to lose because I'm on the other side of the equation. <laughs> right. Well, we'll we see will. what happens, yes, we I will. guess. But in the meantime, uh, I want to – why is this called Brogue? Because it makes it sound like it's a roguelike for bros. Which is not. Um, uh, I so that's a good question. The designer, the developer, is a, a guy named Brian Walker, and um, I believe it's just Rogue with a B in front of it for. for I was going to say name. it does sound like Brian's Rogue, like it would be Brogue for short. Yeah. All right, okay, fair enough. So, what do you? I tend to take big umbrella approaches to definitions i want to put plenty of things under the definition of roguelike like steam you can slap roguelike a roguelike tag on pretty much any old game on steam that has 
uh, I guess the two things I would say are procedural generation of a map and permadeath. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you have those two things, you are a roguelike. Uh-huh. Correct uh-huh. or incorrect, Tony Carnavale? <laughs> um, I would say that that's correct oh. in the sense that that is what that is how people colloquially colloquially use the term these days. Um, but I would say that I disapprove of that and I don't like it. And I think uh, that we shouldn't be doing that for two reasons. Um, I think that the way we use roguelike now is not useful. And the way we use it now is also not accurate. And let me uh, touch on the first point first. Um, I think that calling all these games roguelike uh, isn't useful because, well, here, just like you said, let's go to Steam. I'll type in the word roguelike. And here's a list of some of the games that come up when you type in roguelike. And these are just the ones that you've probably heard of. Uh, I'll go through this pretty quickly because there's a lot. Don't Starve, Faster Than Light, Darkest Dungeon, Sanctuary RPG, Black Edition, Pac-Man Championship Edition DX Plus, Sunless Sea, Oklos, Thea the Awakening, Runestone Keeper, Sky Hill, Invisible Ink, Renowned Explorers, Necropolis, Convoy, Desktop Dungeons, The Curious Expedition. Those are just a few. There's hundreds and hundreds of games that come up when you type in. For the most part, like, uh, um, don't those all though have procedural generation, and don't ninety percent of those have permadeath? Well, um, they. I mean, there's many games with procedural generation and permadeath. That, but the thing is, I don't know that it's valuable to refer to games that just have those attributes as roguelike. Because to me, these games, the list of games that I just listed are so different in in such substantial and important ways that if the word roguelike applies to all of those games the word roguelike is is close to meaningless now if 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 you are comfortable calling every game with procedural generation and permadeath roguelike i mean that encompasses games that i can't i i don't i i don't think it's it's useful to use that term uh to such a wide spectrum of games. I mean, it would be sort of like saying Infinifactory is a Doom-like because it uses a first-person perspective. I mean, there's 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 nothing really that connects Infinifactory to Doom except that perspective. And, and you know, maybe that is an important uh, aspect of those games, but I don't think that it's the most important okay. aspect. So that's on the usefulness um, front, and I, I kind of I, I agree with what you're getting at there and that I think – words do need there there's on one hand if i take a big tent approach you can get a too big of a tent and a word can use its usefulness like for instance uh shooters we used to call you know doom was a shooter and then along came games like thief where you're not there to shoot you're there to sneak or deus ex where sometimes you don't shoot you're hacking uh and there's a lot of non-shooting verbs going on uh tomb raider to you know with uh, games with crafting like the word shooter is way too specific. It, like it doesn't apply to certain games that got lumped under that category as the genre grew mm-hmm. outwards. Uh, so I think yes. that's what's happening with roguelikes is that the genre is growing outwards and people are adopting these mechanics and it's kind of wriggling out from underneath the tent where it doesn't quite fit anymore. I, and so I, 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 I'm definitely right. with you on your point for usefulness of the word. So explain to me then accuracy. So – um, the thing about accuracy is, for me, and I think for many people who played roguelikes uh, before this kind of 
glut of many, many games using the term roguelikes, there, it, it was very clear what roguelike meant. I mean, it's right there in the name. Roguelike, a game that is like rogue. Now, you know, there's some subjectivity in there, but I think that if you uh, can play a game and if two reasonable people can, can play a game and one can say to the other, uh, do you think that game was like Rogue? And the other person uh, is uh, easily says yes and doesn't have to say, I don't really think so. Or in what way would you say it's like Rogue? Then I think that game is a, is a can be called a roguelike. I think it's kind of silly uh, to... It's, it's not necessary to get super deep into all the different criteria of what makes a roguelike, I don't, I don't think. But I do think that uh, a reasonable person should be able to say that in some way that the game reminds them or is in some way like Rogue. And so then how would you narrow that down? Like, y- you've told me before, and I, f- I find this a little surprising because it's such a widely accepted game in the genre, that FTL you don't consider a roguelike. Okay, yes, so I don't. then what would, in the, in the interest of accuracy, what would your gen, your definition be? What excludes FTL? Um, I mean, there's a, I mean, there's a, a bunch of things. Mm-hmm. I mean, to, to me, asking that question is not too, too dissimilar from asking what what differentiates Tetris from from Rogue or what differentiates <laughs> uh, you know Sim City from Rogue. I mean, I really think. FTL is is so so different from Rogue. Uh, well, let me let me put it this way: then. How would you define yeah. a Rogue like then, with 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 your usefulness and accuracy being reasons that you kind of object to its broad use? In the interest of accuracy, how would could you define a Rogue like? Does it have to have, for instance, <clears throat> uh, ASCII graphics? Does it have to have a top down perspective? Like, what would be your limits? Right. So uh, the question of definitions is also a little bit tricky because you could ask. How do you define a cat? And I would say, well, a cat has four legs and it's furry and it and it meows. And all those things are true. And I think that's a that's a workable definition of a cat. And then you could say, well, what about this cat that uh, has a birth defect and it only has three <laughs> sure, legs? Is that sure. not a cat? And I would say, no, that's that's also a cat, too. And then you might say, OK, so is there something wrong with your definition of cat? And I would say, well, no, my definition is right. And also that that is a cat. And you can say, well, here's a hairless cat. It doesn't you know, and here's a here's a cat that that like that, that for some reason just doesn't right. meow a lot. Those are all cats. And my definition is still right uh, there. It's possible for there to be ex- exceptions to a definition and, and for the exceptions to be a valid uh, member of the category and for the definition to be accurate. But I would say uh, if asked to define it, I mean, I think among the important aspects of, of a roguelike, among the important things that would make me personally say that a game is, is like rogue, I think an overhead perspective is important. I think uh, being turn based ah. is important. I don't. I don't think necessarily that ASCII graphics are are uh, a crucial part of it. Um, I do think the idea of uh, items that exist in the world that are initially not identified and then can okay. be identified either through use or through some kind of item that identifies them is, is an important aspect of it. Um, uh, I mean, those are big ones. I mean, those those to me are almost more important than permadeath, which I think is also um, uh, one of the reasons that I really like roguelikes is is permadeath. But that's almost not as important to me. And procedural generation, uh, I think, is is important, too. I mean, uh, I, I think an, an interesting question is why do so many games now that I don't really think of as roguelikes? Why do they 
flock to the term roguelike. And I think it's because they're, in many cases, the, the, they think that the, their developers think that the term roguelike conveys a few things. Um, it conveys replayability. Uh, it conveys a certain sort of crunchiness slash hardcore, uh, you know, non-casualness. Um, uh, and uh, I think that those are kind of the main reasons that so it's sort of the feelings that that developers are trying to evoke when they use the term roguelike. And I understand why they're trying to do that. And it makes sense. But I don't really know. Uh, how useful it is to me. Would as you a propose player. a different term? Like all these things on Steam that are called roguelikes, like Don't Starve and FTL, uh, that you would disagree with your definition of the usefulness, maintaining the usefulness and accuracy of roguelike. Is there a category you could put Don't Starve and FTL in that would, and, and even, no, even I, Diablo I 3 in, in hardcore mode, for instance? Like, is there a category for that sort of thing that, that is there a word you can come up with, a term? I would say Diablo, I mean, you know, Diablo was. Uh, Diablo, I think, is close to being a roguelike. I think you could almost, okay, it's, you know, yeah, I I know that it, they, the developers of Diablo, very vocally, um, you know, wore its uh, influences on its sleeve and 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 have announced that you know they were inspired by roguelikes. And I think there's a lot of roguelike aspects to Diablo, and I almost wouldn't mind calling it a roguelike. But I don't think there's much. I really don't think there is much that unites Don't Starve with with Faster Than Light. Uh, or Darkest Dungeon. I mean, these games all feel so uh -huh, different sure, to me. Sure. Um, By the way, it, I don't know that I would put them under. I, the I am glad to hear you say that about Diablo because of the things you mentioned. Uh, you know, you said that overhead perspective is kind of important for you. This idea of items being mysterious. Uh, of course, the procedural generation, the permadeath. Those are part of Diablo three. And even you mentioned the turn-based bit uh, from Rogue. Diablo was originally a turn-based game. Uh, so, yeah, definitely. Okay, so I'm glad to hear you don't want to necessarily uh, cut that out. He here's what I think, too, is going on, and it, it's just, in a way, echoing what you said. When a developer has a game where they want to convey that your experience will be one of exploration and the high risk that goes with what you expect in exploration. You know, if you're just looking around at a layout of a house and there's no risk or there's no danger – you know, you're still exploring, but big deal. But when you're exploring and there are dragons out there, you know, that and unknown things that can kill you, that's a specific type of experience. And you get that in Don't Starve. You get that in FTL. And I think the kernel, like the the seminal creation of that experience was Rogue. Uh, you know, back when, when there were there weren't very many video game genres because there weren't very many video games. Rogue was one of the few games that could give you this idea of exploration and high risk, like really high risk at a time when most video gaming was, oh, I'm dead, I reload. Uh, so that, that idea of exploration and high risk, that didn't go together. You die and you reload. Uh, so I think what they're getting at here, and I agree with you completely about the usefulness and accuracy of the term should be preserved, but I think it's developers just reaching for a way to explain, hey, we want you to to understand this experience is going to have that exploration and high risk. Uh, and maybe they just need a different word. I don't know that I could come up with one. Um, but yeah, and also, you know, anybody can slap on Steam those those tags. Like, I would be curious if Clay thinks of Don't Starve as a roguelike. I don't know the answer to that. Mm -hmm. uh, but, yeah. Uh, what about, let me then throw a couple more at you, just, just by the the Tony Carnavale metric of usefulness and accuracy. 
uh, Spelunky. <laughs> uh-huh. Roguelike, do you think? Uh, you, know, uh, you know, I haven't really played Spelunky, but I've seen streams of it. And uh, what is roguelike uh, rogue about Spelunky? Uh, well, let's see. I, would, I think the argument that would be made about Spelunky is that it is a roguelike that adopts the mechanics of a side-scroller. Uh, and the only thing I could say about it, you know, it's not the overhead perspective, certainly not turn-based. It taps into the skill set you need to play a side-scroller. It has procedurally generated levels. It has permadeath. I think it does have that... I don't know that it has mysterious items. So is it just procedurally generated generated Super Mario Brothers? Yeah, with permadeath. Yep. Well, that's not a roguelike. Well, that's not a roguelike. Come on. So so Super Mario Brothers has permadeath. It gives you three lives, but once they're done, you're dead. Oh, I guess you're... You know, I never thought of it that way. (laughs) I mean, if... If the only thing separating Super Mario Brothers from Spelunky is the two lives <laughs> that you start with beyond the one, then that's just silly. Spelunky Fair enough. Okay, robot. what do you think about Binding of Isaac? Do you, do you know Binding of Isaac at all? I haven't played it, but it looks like Zelda. Yep. It's kind of like a weird baby in yep. a Zelda yep, world, absolutely. right? And I know everybody calls that a roguelike. Um, uh, and uh, I can't really speak educatedly okay. about Binding of Isaac because I haven't really but that's, played it. But that also is going at this idea, the, the, the fact that you... It's kind of like a twin-stick shooter meets a Zelda mechanic, and the dungeons are randomly yeah, generated. There's no way. No, I wow, would Wow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> there's, I know. I, I mean, I don't know... And I don't know why everybody needs to call... I, and not you, but I don't know why the developers feel the need to, if they do, feel the need to. I don't know why they feel the need to call it a roguelike. It could be a perfectly fine game um and it could be challenging and it could be replayable and it could feature the thrill of exploration with high risk i mean i think there's so many games that involve exploration and risk by the way going back to your point earlier that are that no one would for a second consider to be roguelike civilization uh involves exploration and risk um i i uh i mean Plenty of third-person shooters involve exploration. Well, well, but real quick, that reload mechanic I think does for a lot of us subvert the idea of risk. You know, which well, Diablo has a Diablo is not permadeath unless you play it. Well, that's what I was going to say. Then is that that what some developers have done is they have basically added permadeath to a game that has exploration to tap in. And now they don't call themselves roguelikes. For instance, Fallout. Fallout is a game, great exploration. Bethesda is really good at creating worlds that. Uh, inculcate in you a desire to see what's over the next hill, what's inside this doorway, what's underneath the ground in that dungeon. Uh, A lot of exploration. You die, big deal, you reload. They added in a permadeath survival mode where when you're dead, you don't Mm -hmm. get to reload. Uh, Ubisoft did it with their last uh, Caveman Far Cry game. You know, normally you're playing Mm -hmm. and you die, you reload. They just slapped in, okay, fine, here's a mode where you can't reload. There. Uh, now, right. I don't think either Bethesda or Ubisoft is rolling out the term roguelike. But if they were if they were doing this with some indie game on Steam, I'll bet they would, or they would at least let players apply roguelike tags to, to the game. Uh, so, uh, what about? Uh, do you know Tales of Maj Eyal? Yes, I'm familiar with it. Okay. Yes, of course. I mean, that's been in development since the 1990s, yeah, yeah, I it's believe. Definitely old. Yeah, it's before roguelike was a, a hip term. <laughs> they, they... And by the way, there was permadeath in role-playing games um, well before Fallout and Far Cry's uh, permadeath mode. Huh? I mean, I believe it is after Rogue, but I don't think it was particularly inspired by Rogue. The Bard's Tale. Um, 
you had one save, and if your characters died, uh, they were dead. There was no reloading. It wrote to the floppy disk immediately. I believe Wizard. I think Wizardry was the same way. Uh, although in Wizardry, you could then create another party, which would go down into the dungeon. You could find your old, right. the corpses of your previous people and potentially have them resurrected. Although if you tried to get them resurrected, there was the possibility that the resurrection would go awry. And they would be turned to ashes or dust, I believe, and then they would never be resurrectable again. That's that's definitely uh, permadeath. And I I don't know. I don't think Wizardry was developed um, with Rogue as an influence. I think they were uh, separate and around this uh, sort of concurrently developed. But um, real, real quick, I just want to interject. That does make me think of, yeah. and not not by way of trying to say it's a roguelike, but it certainly reminds me of playing NetHack. When you go down into the dungeon and you die and you've got a little pet dog or cat that, that's with you, you go to the dungeon and you die and you lose your character. So you roll up a new character and then when you get to that level of the dungeon again, you can find your body and your stuff. But your little cat yeah. or dog has gone feral and you now have to fight it. You know, your last character's cat or dog. So that just that just made me yeah, think of corpse runs. Yeah. Yeah, there's games. There's also roguelikes where you uh, your your character after death becomes a ghost, and also and becomes hostile, and you will have to fight the ghost of your previous right. character. No, no, I cut you off. I'm sorry. Were you going somewhere yeah. specific that I I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just wanted to. Okay. Oh no, no, I don't. Remember. Uh, it's just um that I think game. I think permadeath has been a staple of video games for a long time, and it's only really in the last. I don't know, 15 years that it has become so closely associated with uh, with the term roguelike. Um, Do you know the Stone Soup games? Yes, yes. So obviously roguelikes. Uh, well, let me let me ask you: this. What are the best roguelikes? Recommend? Like, let's say I have just arrived from Mars. I know nothing about human video game <laughs> culture. I want to explore this thing you called roguelikes. What should I do? Uh huh. Um. Brogue, why? I think is so the why? Best. Yeah, what makes and Brogue so good? Because I've, oh, I've okay. even reading y'all's, and I think I've even plinked around with Brogue a little bit. Do you know? Is it on the iPad? Mm-hmm. Uh, there, I believe somebody ported it to iPad, but it, it was a. It's open source, and so it was somebody who was not the original developer ported it to iPad, I believe. And I don't know that they okay, did a good job I, of it. Okay, because I've plinked around with it on the iPad and was just kind of yeah, okay, cool. It's a net hacky kind of thing. Uh, what makes Brogue so good? Brogue uh, gives you. Information. Uh, this I, apparently I love information. I'm, uh, but uh, Brogue gives you the right information at the right times, or at least it it's go, it tries to. Um, uh, many old school roguelikes like NetHack, which I find to be unplayable, but many people still enjoy for some misguided inter- reason. Interface wise, uh, like uh, just being an old convoluted. Internet? Well, interface-wise, I can deal with a bad interface, but um, uh, NetHack and many other old games require you to uh, have a wiki open with tons and tons of spoilers if you want any chance of of winning. And Brogue uh, aims to be a game, and this is a trend in modern roguelikes, many of the modern ones aim to allow you the possibility of winning uh, using only information that you glean in game which means that they give you as much information as possible they're as streamlined as possible they try to make excuse me they try to make every encounter as meaningful as possible um and typically you know as few levels as possible dungeon crawl 
is an interesting example because it uh, has been in development for quite a long time and it um, has been passed around. Originally, it was a game called Dungeon Crawl designed by one guy and then it was sort of modded and expanded by a dev team into this sort of big sprawling thing called Dungeon Crawl Stone Soup and it got kind of big and unwieldy and the last few years the Dungeon Crawl Stone Soup team has been making a concerted effort to Kind of for every new feature they add, they throw two old oh, things wow. away. That's an um, interesting approach. They're actively, yeah, they're trimming all kinds of stuff out of the game that they deem is uh, redundant or confusing or um, would be boring uh, if a hypothetically optimal player tried to exploit it. Um, they're really pruning it almost. They're sort of more like gardeners than developers at this point trying to rein in this game and, and make it as compressed and efficient and and playable as possible uh so i brogue is my favorite right now largely because of the density like the it's it's a manageable size it is uh all you don't have to look at any wikis to understand how to play it and it provides interesting environments and interesting tactical choices as much as it possibly can a real another really interesting thing about brogue by the way which I think you might appreciate is at the beginning of many RPGs, roguelikes included, you create a character and you, so you make all these decisions about what your character is going to be before you take a single turn in the game. You decide, okay, I'm going to be a gnomish mage and all this stuff. And you have to figure out, you have to start making choices before you even get to start playing the game in Brogue. There are no character classes. There's no races. There's no levels, no character levels. Uh, Every ability that your character has and develops over the course of the game is bestowed on the character by items that they find in the dungeon. And so no characters have a class, but instead you have to sort of improvise your class based on the materials that you find in the dungeon. And there's different synergies among different items and uh, the different based on the items that you find and the items that you choose to enhance with scrolls of enchantment, which are scattered throughout the dungeon, which serve as Brogue's answer to skill points. Uh, Based on what you choose and what you enhance, you kind of develop your own character class. So if you find a staff of lightning, which uh, is very useful for zapping enemies, and you find a ring of wisdom, which is a an object that makes your staffs recharge more quickly, you might say, okay, I'm going to be a mage character this time. I'm going to enchant um, these two items to make the Staff of Lightning more powerful and give it more charges, and I'm going to enchant the Ring of Wisdom to make it recharge my staff more quickly. Uh, Or alternatively, if you find a really good axe, you might try to be sort of a barbarian character. In Brogue, every melee weapon uh, behaves very differently from every other melee weapon. Spears attack the enemy that's next to you and the enemy that's behind that enemy. Axes uh, do attack every single enemy that's around you. Uh, so axes encourage you to kind of get into big mobs of enemies and, and swing at them like a heroic you know, barbarian. Um, daggers are most useful when striking an opponent that is unaware of you. So daggers might encourage you to use... If you find a really cool dagger, you might be encouraged to use a... to, to develop sort of a stealth build that hides in the shadows and hoards invisibility potions. Um, so it's all, it's all about adapting to your environment and adapting to what you find. And I think that's really cool. And, uh, there aren't 
many games of any kind, especially roguelikes, that encourage that kind of gameplay. So I think Brian Walker is doing some really interesting stuff with Rogue. Now, uh, you guys, you and uh, your friend Brian Haskell, are playing a, a game simultaneously in the same dungeon. And uh, if the listeners want to jump into this dungeon, they have seed numbers. Uh, the seed number for this, it's seven zeros. So zero, 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 zero. And then two, four, five. So that is the seed yes. number for your dungeon. When someone plays uh, Brogue, like when you play, do you ever like play a dungeon and then die and then reload the same seed using what you learned the first time to do better? Um, I think that I consider that to be cheating. Some <laughs> <Okay>. people do. <laughs> Um, you know, if you want to, I don't hold it against you. I personally, uh, don't want to do that because I do enjoy the, uh, kind of sure, discovery sure. And, and the challenge. Um, but by the, on the other hand, I have never come close to winning a game of Brogue. Um, so it might serve me well to do that a little bit and hone my skills a little bit more, uh, before I really try to commit to the brutality of a random new do dungeon every do time. I wonder. Okay, oh, yeah, people do that. You bang on the same Even in, so there's until a, you beat it, basically. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. There's a forum where people uh, play on the same, or a, a thread in your forum where people play on the same seed all the time, and every time they do it, somebody asks, uh, "Can we re- we can reload, right? And somebody else usually shouts them down and says, no, you wait, can't reload. Wait, why can't you? Re- oh, be, wait, <laughs> but I, but, what do you mean reload? Uh, not reload, but but replay the same seed. And you can't, you, you, you absolutely can, and I, you know... Uh, there's no commissioner of roguelikes <laughs> that will uh, fine you. Could I but, cheat in Brogue um, and play and then quit out of the game? Uh, and, you know, obviously it'll write a save for me. And then find that save file and copy it somewhere so that when I die, I can put it back and start from where I quit out. Do you know? I, I, I think probably. I think you can probably do that. In yeah, I imagine games. unless it's like some sort of online server, there's really no way to prevent that. Yeah. 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 Uh, I used to have a, an, an ongoing argument with a friend of mine. I was the NetHack proponent. He was a proponent of a, I think more recent than Net. yeah, a more recent uh, roguelike called Angband. Yeah, I used to be Do really you, into so Angband. So would you be someone who champions Angband over NetHack? Okay. Absolutely. Angband nope. is so Here's much why better NetHack than... <laughs> is better. There's no starvation in Angband. You don't have to eat. Uh, okay. Is that still true? I guess I, you that know, is I, still I, true. I could be misremembering, but I think that was the crux of our disagreement is he hated the fact right. that, think, that think... NetHack you would be doing so well, but just for want of that one piece of food, you would starve to death. That it was another pillar – uh, it was just another threat that could kill you. Uh, and I, I liked right. having to eat. Like I didn't mind that. I didn't mind that extra peril, and I thought he was too much of a sissy for not being able to deal with uh, hunger. <laughs> well, I'll say two things. The first thing is that is so not even close to being the worst thing about NetHack. <laughs> Uh, actually, that's kind of a good thing. I think uh, having a hunger clock is is a good tactic to prevent players from uh, playing too slowly. And uh, another thing that might get you into brogue, you have to eat. Okay, I think I might. Uh, yep, I might have. That might have been why I plinked away at it on an iPad for a while, is it did have yeah. eating. Uh, well, uh, Tony, uh, I look forward to finding out how you or Brian do. Uh, you've got, I think, three more days of this. It'll be running next week for the the game diary for Brogue. Uh, let's see. Did I finish off on my list of the things I wanted to ask you? Is it a roguelike? Yeah, okay. Uh, is there any, uh, any roguelike stuff on the horizon that you know about in terms of maybe developments that you're looking forward to, or are you just content with what's out there? Um, 
I'm never just content with what's out there. Uh, I would love for there to be a new version of Brogue. Every so often, Brian Walker pops onto the Brogue Reddit and subreddit and hints that he's still developing it, but there hasn't been a new version for two years. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, there's a game that's was just recently had a big update called The Ground Gives Way, which I haven't yet had a chance to get really into, um, but it looks really, really that's a, cool. That's a great title, and, by the way. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, you should you should look into the ground gives way. It, it has many of the same design principles as Brogue, but it's a very very different game. Uh, it seems to be a little more complicated, um, and I don't know if that's good or bad. Uh, but the the developer definitely is working with the goal to give the player uh, as much information as as the player needs, and to make the game short enough that it's beatable in a reasonable amount of time. Uh, it's and he's actively developing it, so I really want to get into that. It's already out though, but he's still. Oh, ground gives away is already out. It's uh, available. Yes, it is available. Okay. Yes, it is available, and a, a, a very heavily revised version two just recently came out uh, that I'm excited to get into. Um, and there's another game. Really, I'm just talking about games that I want to play that I haven't gotten around to yet. But another roguelike that I really want to get into is this uh, one called Forays into Norendrin. Oh, <laughs> Which uh, for, I really know very little about, but uh, it looks interesting I don't, as well. I can never think of a there's, – there's never, ever a good time to use the word foray. <laughs> yeah, foray is a very – I don't know. There's something about it. Yeah. There's a weakness to it or something. It's yeah, there's, there's the never a time you couldn't substitute like you know, stick in saga or journey or adventures. Don't you know he's foray? Yeah. <laughs> foray. All right. Yeah. Well, Tony, as someone who I have officially dubbed – the Kotaku correspondent for roguelikes. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, and good luck to Brian for you guys' upcoming uh, entries in the Broke Game Diaries. Thank you very much. 